that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Last Sunday morning, we began a new series of expositions in this first epistle of, of John to individuals that are not named at the beginning of this epistle, but I deliberately took you to First John chapter 5 and verse 13, because there he gives us something of an idea of those to whom he was writing. And he says there that I am writing to those of you who believe in the Son of God. So if you answer to this, that description, then First John is being written to you. And he also in that verse gave us the reason why he wrote this epistle. And it is this, that you might know that you have eternal life. In other words, John wrote this epistle in order that those who are true believers might be confirmed in their faith that they might be assured concerning their eternal well-being. So, it is to do with eternal assurance. Clearly, there must have been teachings doing their rounds that were undermining that sense of assurance on the part of the people of God. And the concern of John was to stabilize them so that they might continue living fruitful Christian lives. And so, the series that we'll be taking through First John is basically on that same subject. How can I truly know that I am a child of God? I gave you a hint as to John's answer as you make your way through this epistle. Basically, there were two rails on which the train moves. The first is that of moral or ethical transformation. If you are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be an individual who now hates sin and loves righteousness. It's, it's something you should be able to testify of. That I have changed morally, I have changed ethically, and I have changed spiritually. The second rail was that of a correct knowledge, understanding of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who he is 
and what he has done in order to save us from our sins. And we saw that a number of times in First John, this time looked at that from chapter 4, that it is a person who is able to testify that Jesus, the Son of God, has come in the flesh in order to secure our salvation from sin, from Satan, from hell. It is a person who has that, that understanding and relies on that alone who has every right to stake his claim on eternal salvation. Well, that was in the middle of the passage, or rather the epistle of John. Now we go right to the beginning of this epistle to begin to study it together. And in this commencement of a detailed exposition of this epistle, the first aspect that John brings out, an aspect that I want us to think about together this morning, is simply that Christianity is essentially knowing Jesus Christ in a very personal way. Christianity is about knowing Christ as your Savior. Let me try and put it negatively. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, even though you might be a member of the church, baptized upon claiming to be a Christian, perhaps even being involved in church activities, you are not a Christian. The only individual who is truly a Christian is somebody who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's realize that about ourselves and use that statement to judge ourselves, to have some introspection, a, a looking within and asking ourselves the question, can I honestly say that I have a personal relationship with Jesus, that I, I know Him personally, that, that He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow road. Can I speak in those terms? And we see this very clearly in the first four verses of First John. To begin with, we must be clear as to who this Jesus is. And that's the way in which John begins. He says this, That which was from the beginning. And clearly, whoever this is, is referred to at the end of verse 1 as the word of life. He is also referred to in verse 2 as the eternal life. I'll just read verse 2 there for you. The life appeared, we have seen it, and testified to it, 
and we proclaim to you the eternal life. He is also referred to as the son of the father. Halfway through verse 3. And our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. So clearly, what we are being told there are different aspects concerning this individual. The very first aspect that we, is brought to our attention is that he was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning. Now, if you have ever read John's Gospel, you will know that it must have been written by the same fellow. Because that Gospel begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And here he is, coming to this epistle, and again he begins with a statement, that which was from the beginning. What is John seeking to convey to us? The message is pretty obvious. It is the fact that when this Jesus, whom he's telling us about, was conceived in the womb of his mother Mary, that was not the beginning of his existence. He was already there. He has been there from the beginning of time. So this beginning is referring to really is when God created the entire universe. The Jesus that is referring to is one who was already in existence. But secondly, he is also being described as the word of life or the eternal life. Again, what does he mean by that? The phrases using as the word of life might sound a little confusing, but we, we use it all the time. We, we say, for instance, the, the city of Lusaka. We speak like that. Uh, I live in the city of Lusaka. Or sometimes we speak in terms of the book of Genesis or, or the book of Revelation. We, we speak like that. So it shouldn't surprise us too much that John should speak in terms of the word of life. Clearly the way in which these phrases are used is that the first phrase is a, is a more general phrase. Speaking more in terms of the type or the kind that we are dealing with. So the book of Genesis is that Genesis is a book. The city of Lusaka is that Lusaka is a city. And he's using it in that sense. That the, 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 the word is, is the general sense in which we are to understand this person. The more specific is the life. The life. The, the self-propagating life. 
The particular nature of, of this being is, is life. The way in which we would speak in terms of the city of Lusaka, the, the specific is Lusaka. The specific concerning the book of Genesis is, is, is Genesis. The book is the general sense. Genesis is the particular. And that's what we have here. John is emphasizing that yes, this, this general aspect concerning this person that we can speak about. He is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. There's something about Jesus that is true concerning this Word. That He is the revelation of God. He is the means by which God has made all things because God simply spoke and things came into being. So there's nothing that has been created that has been created without Him or not through Him. He is the one through whom all things have come into being. But to be more specific, He is life itself. As he goes on to say a few words later, he is eternal life itself. That's who this being is. We are dead in trespasses and sins. He is life and he gives life to those who are dead. And then finally he is identified as the son. The son of the father. Clearly bringing out the fact that he is God the son. The one we have dealings with here. Who has known no beginning. Who is life itself. Eternal life. Is the second person in the blessed Holy Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the second person in the Godhead. He is God the Son. He is God. That's the first aspect that clearly is coming out of this description concerning this Jesus. But then John doesn't end there. He also describes him as one who was manifested twice over. He is manifested. Verse 2. The life appeared. There it is. We have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and again and has appeared to us. In other words, 
When we saw him on earth, that was not the beginning of his existence. Rather, it was as though the curtains opened and he walked on stage. He appeared. He manifested himself. He came and joined us. Oh, again, as he had put it earlier in the gospel that is named after him, he says he tabernacled among us. As though he, he visited us for a season, for a brief season. That's the second aspect of Jesus. And it is this. That he clothed himself with our humanity. He became one of us. He is God and he took on himself human nature. And we shall see a little bit more concerning that. So that we really interacted with him. He was here. The way in which we interact with one another here as fellow human beings. He was not a phantom. He was very much like one of us. God and man. Let me ask you, is this the Jesus that you speak about when you say Jesus? Or when you use the phrase Son of God? Do you recognize that you are dealing with an eternal being? One who has had no beginning whatsoever? One who possesses life, eternal life? Indeed, one who is life itself? And without him there is no life? That even your own physical life? has been primarily drawn out of him. Is that what you recognize concerning him? And that on a day assigned in God's sovereignty, he came and was born in this world and lived among us. Is that your understanding? Because remember what we've been saying. If your understanding of Jesus is faulty, you cannot be a Christian. This is too fundamental for you to go wrong. If you think Jesus was a mere human being, came into existence when he was born from Mary, you cannot be a Christian. You must believe that he was with the Father in the beginning. Or if, on the other hand, you simply believe that he is God, but certainly cannot be man. That there was just some kind of spirit that hovered around once upon a time. But it was not an actual man who lived and died on the cross for your sins. Then again, you cannot be a Christian. You must believe both. He who was in the beginning, being manifested, appearing before us. But notice that Christianity is more than simply knowing this doctrine at a distance, afar. 
Christianity is also about now coming into personal dealings with this person. The Apostle John speaks in terms of having heard him, seen him, looked upon him, touched him. Let's go back to that text. First John and chapter 1. Listen to the way he puts it in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, there we are, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. John there is, is, is basically saying, look, this is more than a mere theory. This is more than a mere philosophy. I am sharing with you that which I have experienced. I have had personal dealings, not with a doctrine and a philosophy, but with a person, Jesus Christ. And you can see from the words he's using in describing his interaction with Jesus that there is a deliberate gradation. He's, he's, he's moving from one level of, of intimacy or knowledge to the other. He begins with, with hearing the, the, the one whom we have heard. And that's, that's usually the, the least level of knowledge before he goes on to seeing. You, it's... it's, it's the difference between radio and, and, and television. Radio, you only hear. And in a sense, yes, you know the person because you've heard him. But when you also see him, then you've gone one step further. Because then, even at a distance, without hearing his voice, you immediately say, that's him, that's him. I know that's him. Because you've not only heard him, you've seen him also. But he goes further and says one that we have looked upon. And, and the phrase there now is, is going to the point of, uh, I would almost use the word study. But it's, it's not so much an academic study, but spending time observing him. It's what you do when an individual perhaps that you've, you've come to know at a distance now visits your home and you are sitting across the sitting room from him and you've noticed the way in which he, he sits, the way in which he perhaps fondles his his own fingers as he's talking. You, you, you observe in more minute details the kind of individual that he is. You, 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 you've noticed the kind of things he likes to talk about. The way he smiles. The way in which he, he, he seems to show interest in, in your children in the home as they are running around, around his feet. You have looked upon him. You, you've, 
you've entered some level of attachment with him because of the kind of person he is in closer proximity. But finally, he says, we've touched him. We've touched him. I've sat next to him and held his hands as it were. He's real. He's got flesh the way I have flesh. John, we are told, even rested his head on Jesus' breast. We've touched him. He's real. He's real. Now, as much as we may dream such dreams about Jesus, we'll never have such an opportunity. So, He's one step ahead of us. Yet, there were others who heard Jesus, saw Jesus, examined him in the sense of a, a closer view of him, and even touched him, who are currently in hell. So, the mere physical seeing, hearing, touching, and so on, is not what brings about a meaningful relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There must be faith. There must be the act of God that ignites perception in you, spiritual perception. So that even in seeing him, you are seeing more than the physical. You are seeing a savior. You are seeing an eternal savior. You are seeing God in human flesh. And in that sense, therefore, we don't need to have been there. As Jesus himself once said to his disciples, you have seen and therefore you believe. Blessed is he who believes without seeing. That's it. And that's what makes true Christianity. It is that as you hear the gospel, it's almost as though this Jesus you are hearing about is, is here. He's real. He's not a mere philosophy. Some X in an equation to make you understand human existence. No. With the eye of faith, you behold him. He's real to you. Jesus of Nazareth becomes the one that you actually call upon and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm going to hell. Have mercy on me. Save me. And consequently, he saves you from your sins. And when other people come to you and they say, you know, this is just a theory. You know, this, this Bible of yours is just people putting together stories that they came up with and on and on and on. These guys speak. You look at them. 
<laughs> you know what? I, I've met this Jesus. He's my Savior. He's changed me. This is not mere theory. Yes, I believe what the Bible says about him, but it's more than simply mental assent. I actually called upon him, and he saved me from my sins. In one of the Lord Jesus' most powerful sermons in the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount, towards the end he spoke of individuals that call him Lord, Lord, but do not enter the kingdom of heaven. And he says that on that last day they will say to him, in your name we cast out demons, in your name we did mighty miracles, in your name we did so many other things. Jesus' response was this, I will say to them, get away from me, and listen to the next phrase, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. That little phrase in the middle, I never knew you. You and me never met. We never did. There was not a day when you came to me as a sinner coming to a savior. Never. Yes, you may have gone to church. You may have done so many other activities. That's not my point. My point is, I never knew you. We never met. You never called upon me. I never came down and, and changed that stony heart of yours and, and gave you a heart of flesh and, 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 and saved you and sent my spirit to live in your heart. That never happened. So get away from me. Get away from me. We were strangers on earth. We must remain strangers for all eternity. Again, let me ask. As you sit there this morning. Have you met this Jesus? Have you? Was there a time when you heard of him with the hearing of the ear, but it was deeper than that? And consequently, you sought him that he might save you, and you refused to rest, crying out to him, Jesus, Jesus, save me. Until he saved you and you can testify of it. That you have met him and he has truly saved you. John could speak like that. But there was the physical dimension in his case. But after Jesus went to heaven, thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions of individuals across history have met the living Lord Jesus Christ. And oh, please never be satisfied with a Christless Christianity. Never be satisfied with simply going to church, 
being baptized, beginning to get into all kinds of activities, without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Refuse that kind of Christianity. May God help you to be the kind of person who speaks in terms of this personal relationship. Let's proceed. Because knowing Jesus in this way is what opens the door to joyful fellowship with him and joyful fellowship with other believers who have also experienced this knowledge, personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is the way he puts it, back to our text. He says in verse 3, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And you can also say we write this to make your joy complete. In other words, joyful fellowship. Let me try and put it this way. You see, when we speak about preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, testifying about the gospel, please, let's never think that our message is a message about a method of salvation. That's not our primary message. As the Apostle Paul would often say, we proclaim Him. We proclaim Jesus Christ. We preach Christ and Him crucified. It's not a method. It's a person. And in preaching this person, in heralding the message of Jesus Christ, we are calling upon men and women to come into a relationship with Him. To call on Him that He might Save them. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what we preach. And so if somebody is saying to you that uh, you know, to become a Christian, you must pray this prayer. To become a Christian, you must walk to the front. To become a Christian, you must sign this card. To become a Christian, you must be baptized. They are shoving you into hell through a back door. Salvation is not about methods. Salvation is us coming to a person, Jesus Christ, that He may save us. And in saving us, He brings us into fellowship with Himself. Into communion with Himself. So that for the first time, we begin to relate to a person we were not relating to before. He's real. As a hymn writer would say, he walks with me 
and talks with me along life's narrow way. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. This Jesus, I have fellowship with him. Now personally speaking, That's why I find it difficult when a person who claims to be a Christian speaks in terms of being lonely. Lonely. With Jesus. Lonely. Oh, how was yesterday? Boring. You're with Jesus and it's boring. No. You see, a true believer has realized another person with him, with a capital P, the Son of God. There's so much to talk about, so many issues to work through. There's a whole life to be lived together with him. That the word boring is out of the picture completely. Loneliness. Give me a break. It can't be. Because he's real. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow road. Friends, if that's your language, perhaps examine whether you really know Jesus in a personal way. Examine yourself. One of the ways in which you soon discover when a person has become a Christian is that finally they are able to, to, to sit at home. Previously, home seems to kill them. They, they must be out there in, 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 in the place where all the noise is. That's where they must be. Where the music is going all the time. They must drink themselves into a stupor. And then suddenly, they're able to say, yeah, go, you find me. With a smile, you find me. I'm with Jesus, relaxed. I'd like to spend a day alone with him. Go. I've got a personal relationship with him. And similarly, at the gate of death, it won't be a terror because he is with me. He is with me. Who hold me by my hand. He will lead me across the Jordan. He is with me. Again, let me ask, do you know fellowship with Jesus? Do you? When the enemies around you are growling at you. When they are speaking spitefully of you. And seeking to destroy you. And doing all kinds of evil against you. They are amazed that there is a, 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 a buoyancy in your soul. There's, there's a song on your lips. And, and wonder how it could be. But it's because 
of the fellowship you have with Jesus. I ask again, do you know anything of that? You see, don't sit there saying, well, look, that's for the super spiritual. You see, uh, me, just an ordinary Christian, that's for those who want to travel first class, business class, to heaven. Me, I'm content with economy class to heaven. Don't allow yourself to be cheated by the devil that way. It's not the way to heaven. If you are a Christian, you will know fellowship with the Father. John makes it very clear here. Our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Our communion is with the Father and the Son. It's with God. Let me go further. You see, it opens the door not only to fellowship with God... But it also opens the door into joyful fellowship with believers, other believers, those who have heard the proclamation and have also turned from their sins and put their faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit in them and the Holy Spirit in you connect when you meet. Yes, it's in the Word. It's also in the actions. It's in the desires. It's in the indescribable. And you can tell we are having fellowship here. This is not just talking about the weather and about politics and everything else. There is a commonality of life that we did not have before. Has that happened to you yet? Have the people of God become special to you? Have they? Are you interested in the individuals sitting next to you? Are you interested as go out of the service to, to get to know this stranger and that stranger and those who are God's children you soon connect? Are you? You know, before you become a Christian, you go to, to church the way I go to the post office. I'm in the queue, and I'm only interested in one thing. Stamps. There are quite a number of other people. I'm hoping they will give me sufficient privacy without interacting too much with me. Finally, I get to the queue. I pass my hardened quacha through. Out come the tickets, or the stamps, whatever it is. Smile at each other, hi, hi. And I'm out of here. If anybody suddenly says, hey, Pastor Bell, I feel like sinking. Because I know suddenly I'll be noticed by everybody. Oh, who, who, who is this? 
So I hope I can just go in, do my quick business, out, in the car, zoom, gone. There are quite a number of people here who do exactly that every Sunday. Only interest is the preacher right in front. As soon as that business is over, quickly greet him at the door. Hello, thank you. Zoom. Week after week, zoom. That says something about whether there is spiritual life there. That's what it does. Because where there is spiritual life, there is commonality, there is fellowship, there is communion, not only with the living God, but also with His children. I want to know them. I want them to know me. I want to know the circumstances in their lives that they might be enriched by that which God has put in me and that I might be enriched by what God has put into their lives. And that's the reason why the church is such a living organism. It is because we are made into a family, into a people of God. We enjoy fellowship with one another. Again, I want to ask today, do you know that fellowship? Do you? Do you know that fellowship? And one of the evidences is just this, that you can say that something happened these people here became more than just strangers with whom you meet into some kind of spiritual post office. They became brothers and sisters. They became your issue. Your issue. You were interested in them and you continue to be. Now friends, this is Christianity. This is Christianity. John is beginning there. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. No. It's not merely about you adding church activities to your weekly schedule. No. It's not merely about avoiding some moral lapse here and there that might upset one or two people that you know. No. It's about meeting Jesus Christ personally. Meeting him spiritually. Not in a physical sense with a body walking among us, but by faith. Real. And consequently experiencing true fellowship with him. If that sounds strange to you, you need help. You need to cry out to this Jesus and say to him, I've never known you. I want to know you today. I've read your book. I've gone to church. I've tried to mingle with believers. But what has been described today, I'm a stranger to it. 
I'm still lost in the crowd among your people. I'm still the kind of person who's dead bored when I'm alone. Fearful of the dark. Fearful of the possibility of dying. Lonely. Bored. I don't know you. Lord Jesus, save me. Let me know you today. So that you too, looking back to today, may be able to say in the hymn with which we will end our service today, Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. Day I will never forget. After I had wandered in darkness away, Jesus, my Savior, I met. Oh, what a tender, compassionate friend. He met the need of my heart. Shadows dispelling. And with joy, I am telling, he made all the darkness depart. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Oh, may that be true of you today. May you be able to testify of that. And anybody who meets you anyway, you're going to say to them, I know him. I know Jesus. In a personal way. He's the one who has made out of this miserable mess the beauty that you now see. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. Amen.